Welcome to the Calvary Assembly Podcast with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. Well, guys, we are thrilled to death today to have uh, Dave Reaver with us. Uh, man, he is a world-class speaker, uh, speaks all over the world, and I'm not going to tell a story he'll tell it this morning, but uh, he was injured in Vietnam, and he has given his life to bring hope and healing to veterans all over the world, and we are just super blessed to be able to have him with us today. Uh, he was passing through to go hunting and was willing to come and stop here this morning, and um, I heard him way back when I was in college in the 90s, and God used his message to really change the way I prayed well, to this day still, so it's, it's been amazing, but would you guys give a big Calvary welcome this morning to Dave Reaver? We're so excited. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you guys. What a nice, warm welcome. I, I like that. I don't mind. Y'all just doing it because you mean it. That was a joke. <laughs> Good morning to all of you, and thank you for the opportunity to be here. I do want to clarify one thing. Actually, I'm here to minister and then to go hunting. And the reason is, uh, about a year or so ago, two years ago, my uh, bicycle team rode from Canada to Mexico and came right through the communities here, and you guys so received them so well. And then I have a friend that just recently passed away, uh, not from COVID. He uh, actually was a Vietnam veteran and was stricken drastically with uh, Agent Orange, which affected his uh, breathing terribly, and uh, he passed. But he rode motorcycles through here with uh, Pastor Alex. Am I saying that right? Rex? Uh, not Alex. Rex. I know he had an X in there. And... Uh, so I kept hearing about this, these churches, this community. I said, if they ever would like to have a speaker come through, I would be honored to get the opportunity, and I did. And then found out that um, there are some of the landowners appreciate getting some of the animals taken off. So we thought we'd try to help with that. And what's really interesting is I have ranches. I have two very large ranches in Texas and Colorado, and uh, we hunt there. But the reason we hunt, we provide wild game for all of our warriors. They don't get that wild game anywhere else. And so uh, we harvest animals for our uh, warriors to enjoy the wild game in all of their banquets. And for the special operations men come through, Navy SEALs, uh, Green Beret, Delta Force, uh, Force Recon from the Marine Corps, they actually get to take to hunt one of the animals and then provide it for a banquet meal. So we provide a great plethora of opportunities of outdoor activities. And, uh, this is just going to be one where I get to provide. My, if my gun doesn't fail, I wouldn't miss. You know that. My gun might miss. Y'all are so fun already. I can tell we're going to have a good time. You know when to laugh. <laughs> well, uh, I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm from there more than I am there. So people say, is there any place you haven't been you'd love to go? Home is one of those places. But um, I'd like to send out a shout-out and a greeting to uh, Central 
how do you say that? Wash, what's the, I, I can't write. Handwriting's horrible. Oh, my handwriting's horrible. Central Nebraska Veterans Home in Kearney. That's the one. Yes. What he say. Uh, and Carney, uh, they're watching online, and I just want all of my veteran friends there to know how honored I am that you'd spend a few minutes with me today on uh, online. I'm 75 years old, but I'm going on 50. And according to Hollywood, 50 is the new 30. And if you're into Common Core, I'm 21. You can be anything you want. And... Uh, Right now, I feel pretty young, but I don't stand much, and I don't sit much. I, I don't walk much. Uh, in 2010, I was in Iraq with a special operation, and I jumped out of a helicopter, and my feet hit the sand wrong, and I hit so hard on my backside, we'll call it, and I broke six vertebrae, crushed them, and was paralyzed for two years in my left leg, and I was on braces. And one day, I just... I knew God was in it. I just took my brace off, took my first step, and fell on my face. <laughs> so I knew God was in it. I put the brace back on. <laughs> and I waited until God was in it again, and I put the brace back on again. Third time was a charm, they say, but no charm with God. You just got to keep obedient, right? Third time I was able to walk, I just don't walk well. So uh, thanks for letting me sit today. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to sit with you. I feel like today I'm in the presence of people that can receive me for who I am, and I don't have to fit a box. Would put me. I think today, if I was sitting in your front room, we could put our feet up on the ottoman and enjoy a good visit. Amen? This will be a bit of an emotional experience for me. Uh, I'm going through a difficult time in my life. Uh, you know, there are things in life you have to really fight. You don't, they don't come easy, right? And you younger folks need to hear me, especially you young couple. Uh, start now. Build your relationship in marriage, or if you're looking to become married, <laughs> choose well, grasshopper. <laughs> Put a little Buddhism in there. Uh, anyway, uh, be careful how you choose. Choose well. and. Seek out the will of God in your life. And how do you do that? Well, patience is probably one of the best ways to find the will of God. Don't get in a rush about everything. Slow down and let God guide you. And how does he guide you? The Bible says he will give you the desire of the heart. And there's two things that take place in that. One, I even mentioned it to our worship leader this morning. I said, I think it was you I mentioned it. I said, isn't it interesting how God gives us the desire of the heart? And everybody thinks that he gives me whatever I want. Well, he gives you the want, then he gives you what you want. But you got to let him give you the right want. Because if you go after the wrong want, you can't accuse God of giving you the bad want. God doesn't give you bad desire, he gives you good desire. And then he fulfills that desire. He gives you a desire and he says, oh, did you want that? Well, I'll just give that to you. I like that. Because if God gives me the right desire, then he gives me what my right desire is then I can't go wrong. And people say, how do you know the will of God? My question is, how do you not know the will of God? How do you not know? It's so simple. It's the simplest thing in the whole world to know the will of God. It's written in black and white. It's called the word of God, and here's what it says. It is not his will. So it starts out with what's not his will. It is not his will that any should perish, but it is his will that all should come to repentance. So if you start your life 
with being born again. As soon as you understand to be born again or at any point following, it is not his will that you should perish, but it is his will that you have eternal life. So start with eternal life and everything else falls underneath that and it'll fall well. It'll do well, but you got to fight for it. You've got to fight for it. We're not a free nation because it accidentally happened. There's blood spilled on every island of the Pacific, virtually countries around the world by our warriors who laid down their lives to let us sit in this room and talk about Jesus without armed guards back there with M16. If you don't say what they want, they'll arrest you, take you out and shoot you in the parking lot. Thank God for the freedom we have in this room right now because of those who died to give it to us. Amen. So you fight for what you want. And, and, and for instance, when I met Brenda, my, my wife, we, I met her when I, on my 16th birthday, it was a pretty good day. On my 16th birthday, uh, I fell in love. <laughs> I gave my heart to Jesus, which I'd already done at five years old, but I didn't know what it meant. But I remember praying a sinner's prayer as a five-year-old. I remember, this is crazy, I was picking at the corrugated rubber that was already loose on the bottom step of my high chair. I was five years old picking on that, pulling it off, and I was praying, oh, Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. I didn't know what sin was, but I was asking God to forgive me of it. Five years old. It took 11 years later, 16, for me to understand what at five years old I was asking God to do. And I did it at 16, and I've never looked back. Not that I haven't made mistakes. We all do, but I'm going to tell you something. I'll continue to grow in the Lord just like you have. We give our heart to Christ, and through what I call progressive sanctification, we don't get it all at once, we never sin again, but we learn from our fall. If you fall seven times, how many times you get up? Eight. If you fall ten, you get up eleven. You never stay down. you got to fight for what you believe in. You have to struggle for what you want. So I fell in love with Jesus, and I fell in love with Brenda. On my 16th birthday. So 16 was a very good year. I asked her to marry me on my 16th birthday. That's the day I met her. She slapped me. She was 13. And she told me, she said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. That was not the thing to say. She slapped me the second time. We had a very difficult beginning, and you thought I was injured in the war. It was way before the war. <laughs> she said, if you love me, you wait for me. I said, I'll pick you up at 10. <laughs> I knew what she meant. Don't fall out of your chair when I say this, but we were both virgin when we got married. Not bad, huh? You can clap our way. 54 years later, we're still married not virgin but still married <laughs> I knew what you were thinking I could see it <laughs> so we got married after she graduated her dad whose name was Mr. Smith and Wesson <laughs> made us wait but we did and she graduated from high school and within a few days we were married and I went off to Bible college and everything was great I was going to be a pastor like my dad my dad was my hero. He never threw me a baseball, never, never threw me a football. He did take me hunting, and you can see the product of that. I love to hunt. Uh, took me fishing, but no sports. Everything we did was related to some form of survival. Uh, he was my hero. I didn't want to be like Mike. I didn't care if I slam dunk a basketball or kicked a football through the goalposts of life. 
I got kicked through the goalpost of life. But I'm, I'm proud of my scars and stripes. And it's better now than it used to be. Five years ago, I got a nose. After all these years, I have a nose. My nose was blown off. My whole face was blown off except for what's covered. And it was a second-degree burn. It grew back. But everything, which includes most of my nose, I had this little piece left right here, this little patch. They made me a nose. It's a boy. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> I have eyelids, and I have lips again, and an ear. It's, it's plastic. It fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it. It peeled off like a wet Band-Aid. It's laying on my shoulder. I'm preaching away, and 10,000 Jamaicans do this. <gasps> Eyes are big, sucking air like a hoover, covered their mouth, looking at me, and I'm checking my fly because something's wrong, you know. <laughs> my fly was good, and I look around. There's my ear laying on my shoulder. You can't ignore it because you're about to have Jonestown without the grape Kool-Aid, you know. I grabbed my ear, I dried the sweat, and I stuck it back on. I thought, okay, it's okay. It got worse. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. That's a true story. When I gave the invitation, everybody came forward. I don't know if they were looking for Jesus or for my ear, but they, they came forward, and they found Jesus. I'm trying to tell you, you fight for what you believe in. You fight for what you want. Nothing comes free. You take the worst day of your life and make it the best day of your life. The tragedy turns into triumph when you let Jesus take charge. And sometimes it's a long time getting that answer. Sometimes it's a lifetime finding out the answers you never had, but even didn't even know how to ask the right question. A lifetime of learning. So we got married, and I went off to war. She went off to Allstate Insurance Company to work. Allstate, remember the company that wants you in their good hands? Her co-worker wanted her in his good hands. I'm at war. I'm fighting for my country, and he's trying to date my wife. He knew she's married. She had the ring on. Everybody knew it. I got even with that sucker. I buy state farm insurance. <laughs> yeah, I do. Showed him. Then after I was injured, I'm in the hospital, just the initial say, I've had 60 surgeries and I'm still a patient at the same hospital, Brook Army Medical Center. 50 years of surgeries, 60 of them. And the first 14 months I was at Brook was my first day. I was in intensive care for eight months. The first four months, somewhere in there, this guy started trying to mess with my wife, my medic, my medic. I got him. I pretended I was dying one night, and I hyperventilated intentionally until I set off the alarm. He came running in, and when I was mumbling like I was dying, he got his ear down real close to hear me. I bit him. <laughs> I bit that boy right on the ear. I locked down, and I had him clenched in my teeth, and I muttered, you touch her, and I'll kill you. What am I going to do? Choke him with the hose that's up my nose? Scared the guy so bad he never came back on that ward again. That was the end of him. This won't take much longer. Then there was a third guy. I got to tell you about him. I never met this guy. When I got out of the hospital, my wife and I went back to college. I'm just out of the hospital. I only had one eye, one ear, one nostril. This side of my head was smooth red skin. They hadn't even opened my eyelid yet. I don't have any eyelids, actually. They're just skin. No muscle. I have to squeeze them with all the muscles of my face to close my eye, and I just got those four and a half, year, four and a half months ago. 
four and a half years ago. And so I didn't have eyelids. They were just smooth skin, red. It was horrible. I scared little kids. It's terrible. I didn't mean to. Sometimes I did. <laughs> ah, you little snot. But I learned, well, this guy was her professor, and he brought her flowers. I thought the student brought apples to the teacher. No. He brought flowers. He was trying to woo my wife away. I never met him, but he saw me one day with one eye, one ear, one nostril. I never knew who he was. He saw me, and he thought, if I survived, the other guy didn't. And he wanted to make sure he wasn't going to be that other guy. He quit bringing flowers. I got even with him. Then the last guy I'll tell you about, he was different than all the others. He really was. He, uh, I have to give him credit because he really did love her. And uh, I didn't think anybody could love her like I did, but he did. And uh, he actually was beyond rich. He gave her gifts I couldn't afford and made promises to her I couldn't keep. And you know what? She ran off with him. And it really, really broke my heart like nothing I've ever known. But I got his name, and I know where he lives. His name is Jesus, and he took her to a place called heaven, and he made me a promise. He said, I'll let you see her again. You just stay true, and I'll give her back one day. So I'm going to stay true. How about you? We don't quit because it hurts. We don't throw in the towel because we took a hit. We get up off the deck and we fight for everything we believe in. For God, country, for family, for friends, the things that are important, we give ourselves to from the time you're young until you're 75 and older. I don't know how much longer I got, but I'm going to have fun. i tell you this, I think I got more time than that deer that's out there on that hill. I'm going to introduce that boy to Jesus. The marriage supper of the Lamb will be venison. I've had enough fun. Well, I don't. I, I think I'm going to get right into what I want to say to you. And if you don't mind, I'll use a scripture to set it set up. If you, uh, if you have your iPhones, turn with me. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Second Corinthians, as Donald Trump used to say, two Corinthians. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Let's look at verse 3. There's one, two, three. The last five words of verse 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Ready? The God of all comfort. Say that with me. The God of all comfort. Now, we can title what I'm going to say that. We could even title it that, the God of all comfort. Verse 4 now. Who comforteth us in all. That's not some of, lots of, or most of. That's all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any. You name the trouble, and we got a comfort for it. Them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Which is simply to say, when we're being distressed, God comforts us so that we can turn around and say to somebody else in distress, look what he did for me, he'll do it for you. And it gives them comfort. Now that doesn't take a genius to figure it out, because if I can figure it out, you can figure it out because I'm no genius. I work today. I, I am at 75. I am still employed by the Department of Defense. I'm a contractor employee. 
they send me all over the world, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Bosnia, Kosovo, North Africa, South Korea, Japan, Okinawa. If we have troops, they send me. There are some places they send me at night. They don't tell me where I'm going. And before sunrise, I've already done my training. I'm out of that country and have no idea where I was. That's fun, trying to figure it out. You get on the map, you say, it took so many hours to fly, so many distances. And, and then they shut off all the lights, not only on the outside of the airplane, but even instrument panels, no lights, everything's dark. And you know you're flying over a hostile country. It's really fun serving my country. I could tell you stories that blow your mind. But I'm not here to tell you those stories. I got something that blow your spirit. And that's what I'm here to do is to uplift your spirit with a shocking report that God is more concerned about your spirit than he is your body. He's more concerned about your spirit than even your soul because your body is a protector of your soul. Your soul is a protector of your spirit. And your spirit should never be affected by the world around you. It should be constantly in tune with God and your spirit never affected. Because why? Your soul takes all the trouble from your spirit. Jesus even said, now I have a troubled soul. He didn't say, now is my spirit troubled. Now is my soul troubled. Because he knew what was about to happen to his body. And his body was going to go through it. So we, we, we get all of our priorities listed wrong. Body, soul, and spirit with God. It's spirit, soul, and body in order of priority. Do you get it? Say amen. So I didn't leave you in the dust somewhere. And what do you say? What do you mean? I'm here today to tell you your spirit's the most important part of your existence. And if you're spiritually dead, we got to do something about that today. Because until you are born again of the spirit, not of the flesh, you cannot worship or even know Christ until you're born. You can know about him, but you got to be born again. Because you can't be born again of the body. You can't be born again of the soul, but you can be born again of the spirit. Now, that's settled. We understand that. So let's talk about this comfort thing. You see, if you fight what you believe in, you're going to go through battles, and you get hurt, and you need comfort every now and then. The whole world's in a distress today over COVID. And every time we find out, okay, we got that one beat, then we get a new variant. Well, they, they see to that. They really good at making sure we always have a new variant. Just about the time we get over one, then they give us another one. Think about it. I'm sitting here today, have all these spare parts. I, I, my hair was blown off in Vietnam. It's also blown off in South Carolina the other day in a high wind. <laughs> I don't mind the hair piece. I just hate chasing across church parking lots on Sunday morning. <laughs> And the church is out there clapping, go, Dave, go, Dave, go, Dave. I had it brought back by a dog once, and that's really humiliating. So, yes, it's a hairpiece. There's a bald guy in China. <laughs> Not everything out of Wuhan was bad. <laughs> so I laugh about it. I laugh about the ear. I laugh about the hair. I laugh about the scars. I laugh about the fingers that don't work. Why? I mean, you know. To comfort you, let me, let, me, let me just take you down the road of comfort. In the military, when you get hurt, they take you off the boat, off the tank, out of the airplane, and put you on a stretcher. And then the doctors all come around, and they take a tape measure, and they square, measure the square inches of scar tissue. And they give you a disability per square inch. And then they take each finger that doesn't work. Anything that worked before that doesn't work or is missing is given a percentage of disability. 
His thumb was blown off completely. That was gone. They made that out of my hip. I really confuse children when I say, don't suck your hip. <laughs> they look at me like, what? He has more than lost his hip. He lost his mind. <laughs> I do not have Dame Bramage. <laughs> I'm testing to see if you're listening, and you're listening. So they added up all the disability. For thumbs are more disab disabling than a finger. Each finger has a disability, and if you lose your index finger, it's more than the pinky. So each part of your body that's damaged, you know what the VA added up all my disabilities to be? You're sitting down, so I'll tell you. 240% disabled. I'm twice and a half not. <laughs> and the Navy comes along and says, you're 100%. I said, no, no, no. The VA says I'm 240. Yeah, but we only pay you 400. I said, where's the, where's the justice? If I'm 240%, you owe me 240%. Nope, but you're 100%, but we add this in. They said, you're permanently and totally disabled and unemployable. That's what they told me. Okay, let's, let's take what they said. Here we go. See this? What's this called? Microphone. See that? That's a disabled hand that's unemployable. Now look here. It's a mic stand. And look here. The only finger didn't get blown off still works. It's a preaching finger. What do you get when you put a microphone and a preaching finger together? It comes out an evangelist. I'm employable. I have a job. I don't let the world tell me who I am or what I am or what I can or cannot do. Don't let the world identify you and label you. You're a child of a living God and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There you go. We have a purpose in life, ladies and gentlemen, and finding that will of God that I talked about to start with is the most exciting trek you'll ever, ever go on. So if it's a new trek, let it be a Ford. <laughs> no, it's a truck. I'm sorry. <laughs> so with that said, I want to comfort you a little further. Let me, let me tell you how it works. There's a picture somewhere. I haven't seen it, but I've been told about it. It's an artist illustration of General Washington before he was president, our, our founding president. He is pictured helping a wounded soldier, now listen, back up on his horse. Here's a bleeding soldier, and he's helping him onto, not off of, but onto the horse. And the inscription below says, General Washington comforts the soldier. Wait a minute. I thought if you comfort somebody, you're taking them off the horse, putting them on a stretcher, and telling them how difficult and bad off they are. In the language of my first tongue, which I spoke Spanish before I spoke English, because my mother, when I was born, she was disabled by my birth and killed her over many years, but she could never raise me. I had a Mexican nanny, Maria Rubio, and I learned how to roll my R's, and my first language was Spanish, and I spoke Spanish till I was six years old. When I went to school, I had to learn English, and then they told me I was not a Mexican which blew my Hispanic mind, literally. It dislodged me mentally, emotionally, because I was not what I thought I was. So I'm injured, and 
they put me on a stretcher and tell me I can't do this. I can't, and I'm just saying, General Washington is putting him on the horse. And it says, the general comforts the warrior. So I looked up the word comfort in the Bible. In the original Greek, it's not the Spanish word that I thought it would be. Pobrecito, poor little guy. You can't. You're broken. You're hurt. You can never. You won't. Don't do this and don't do that because you're damaged goods. I felt like I was a can in that shopping cart without a label and bent, and it's 50 cents a can, and you don't know what you get. Life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. Don't stick me in that basket of do nothing. Don't stick me in that basket of the broken. I'm labeled by the chi- as a child of God, and I can do all things, and I'm good. So instead of putting me on a stretcher, I'd rather have a general puts me on a horse and says what the original definition is of comfort. Inspiring speech. A wonderful testimony. A message of hope. These, this is what that word comfort means. It's not that poor little guy you can't. It's that get back on that horse. You're still breathing. you got a heartbeat. The war's not over. Now get your weapon and let's go finish this battle. That's what I came to tell you. Get off your stretcher, America. Get back on the horse. Let's finish the battle. Guess who's coming to celebrate the dinner with us? Do you all still believe Jesus is coming back, or is that, is that gone with COVID? <laughs> Everything else is gone with COVID. If it wasn't for COVID, we ha- wouldn't have an excuse for 99% of the junk we're blaming on COVID today. If we got through COVID 1 through 18, what's 19? <laughs> and that told you how stupid I am because I don't know what COVID 1 through 18 is. But no weapon formed us against us can prosper. Say amen. We're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. Say amen. amen. No weapon, no conquering. I, I can't see in defeat. All I see is let's get back on the horse. Amen. So on July the 26th, boy, I hate to say the year. There's young people here. 1969. Yes, I know you think that's right after the War of 1812. <laughs> I'm not even going to look at you. Oh, there's one over here too. There's young people all over this church. That's good. They'll be here at church tomorrow. Amen. If Jesus tarries, we've got another church coming up right here and sitting in the midst of us. In fact, they're already the church. Just got to get them off the phone for a while so they quit texting each other. <laughs> so here's my message. I kiss my wife goodbye at the airport, my little teenage wife. She says to me on my way to war now, she says to me, Davy, are you coming back? That question has haunted me all of my life. Are you coming back? I was with the Navy Special Forces. I was a fast boat driver for the Navy SEALs. I was a brown water blackberry. I was not a Navy SEAL. I was in a group smaller than the SEALs with a higher killed in action per capita than any organization in the military. But you can't prove it. Our boats were made of fiberglass when they were hit by B-40 anti-tank rockets. Can you imagine what would happen to a fiberglass boat? It went up in white powder. It's enough to drive a cocaine addict insane. All that powder in so little time. Well, suck that up your nose, dude. They'll give you a glass jaw. And the bodies went down with the boats, went down with the motors, because the motors were not 
Fabregas. So if you don't retrieve a body, even though they know you're dead, you're not officially killed in action. You're officially missing in action till they get a body or a body part they can positively confirm as you. So our guys that were killed went down with the boats. They were never listed killed in action. So when I say we had the highest KIA, I can't prove it in the records of the Internet. But we were shown the records before we ever went to war, and they said, if you're going to leave the military, you better do it now. You're going to be gone one way or the other. I kissed her goodbye, and when I said I'd be back without a scar, I wondered why I said it. I felt a chill up my spine. Davey, are you coming back? I'll be back without I could have just said, I'll be back. <laughs> then I could be governor of California. Make movies, girly man. But I made a promise I knew I couldn't keep. I came back, but I wasn't the man she married. She married a handsome young prince, strong and handsome. I come back. She had to change my diapers. She didn't even know who I was when she looked at me. I had to be told who I was. And I'll tell you how it happened. You got a minute? How are we doing on time, Pastor? Doing all right? I was holding a white phosphorus hand grenade. That's not me. I don't get it. <laughs> if that is Jesus, I'm sorry. I asked time, and if you're telling me it's up, I quit. <laughs> I'll make sure it's not me and make sure things turned off. But that day I was holding a white phosphorus hand grenade. Let me tell you what phosphorus is. For all you military retirees, you know if you're in the reserves or what. If you're military connect, you know what phosphorus is. It burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Twice the heat necessary to melt the engine out of your car. Two times that hot. It's in a canister as cold as this bottle. But if that canister is compromised and air gets in, it explodes in full velocity. And when it blows, it'll kill in a radius of 66 meters. It's horrible. I had it in my hand, drew back. I was going to burn down some high brush. It's called defoliate. It would also burn up tripwires. It would detonate booby traps. It would give me cover of smoke. I could get into the bunker in front of me. I drew back, and I didn't know I was in the crosshairs of a sniper, a human hunter. And he squeezed off one round. He missed. He didn't hit my head. He hit my hand. It went into the canister and it exploded. And in one second, the doctor said, when that hit me, it was so hot, 60 pounds of my flesh went up in smoke. And I kept both arms and both legs. Everything was burned or blasted off of me. It was flesh, fat tissue, muscle tissue, and fluid. It dehydrated me instantly. I went blind in my eye, got my vision back. Uh, six months ago, they took the scar tissue off my eye, and I can see again with my right eye. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. The technology, now, it doesn't blink. I was just squeezing it. Water's up in cold air, but it's I can see with both. I got my peripheral back. and uh, My hearing, I got my hearing back, even though it's plastic. The inner ear was preserved, and I can see through my eye. I can hear through my ear, and I can see through my ear. <laughs> I should take bets. I can take it off and look through it. 
<laughs> I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to stick it right under here. I'm going to listen to what y'all say about me when I'm gone. <laughs> anyway, yes, I laugh about it because I beat the devil at his own game. He came after me and now I'm checking. He beat me with a stick and I got the same stick from him and I'm beating him with it all over the face of the earth. So get a stick and hit the devil. That's my motto. And so on 26th of July, 1969, the devil took his best shot, and I'm still here. And I swam across the river, fingers flopping, blood squirting. I'm going to make it as realistic as I can. My skin was all around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> oh, come on now. That's okay. I needed to pull myself together. I got on my knees on the bank of the river, and I don't know if this is funny or not, but I fell over backwards, and they thought I was dead, and they had a body to prove it. Remember? Now it went to the Pentagon through my chain of command that I was killed in action, not missing. I was KIA. It only took them 34 years to correct it. 34 years later, the senator from the great state of Texas, Kay Bailey Hutchinson, was looking for the name Dave Reaver that kept showing up in the news about working with Central Command downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's from Fort Worth. Who is this Texas boy? And she started looking and found out I weren't dead yet. <laughs> the news of my death had been greatly exaggerated, Mark Twain wrote, and I know how he felt. And that day was one of the beginning of my healing emotionally because for the first time I ever got an official notice from the United States Navy, dear Mr. Reaver, the Navy has not forgotten you. <laughs> I wrote back for 34 years you forgot about me. All the medals I had never been given, I'm not bringing up medals for glory. You'll see why in a moment. All the medals that I did not know I'd even received were presented to me by the Navy SEALs and delivered by the SEAL team and was pinned on me by the highest-ranking prisoner of war, now passed on a few years ago. At the time of his capture, was a colonel of the United States Air Force shot down over North Vietnam, Colonel then Robinson Reisner. As a two-star, he pinned my purple heart on me, and I wore it this morning, so I, and I put it on myself. I, plug, I put that on today to wear here to you today to talk about what it means to receive the words thank you far more valuable than the purple heart on my chest. For the first time after 34 years when he pinned that purple heart and all those other medals on me, he put his hand on my chest and covered the medals. And he said, congratulations, Dave. I said, for what? He said, for the honor. I said, no, sir. The highest praise is not in honor. It's for the first time officially. My country and my branch of service said thank you. And those words still mean the world to me. Do you know what it means to say to somebody thank you? Do you know what that means? It's the medal of honor, gratitude. It's a personal expression. And that's all we've got. It's just nylon and stamped metal, but the words behind it mean everything. So when I said this morning, thank you for the privilege to be here, I meant that. I'm honored 
that you would take a day of your life and sit and listen to me talk to you. And hopefully what I say will be more than an entertaining hour in the house of God. I hope it will transform something in your life. You will leave better. And I'm not this emotional. I'm allergic to this carpet. <laughs> it's killing me this morning. <laughs> Woo! And it happens when I get around real people. That's what I love about smaller communities. I get in these big cities, and everybody's trying to dress like whoever. They all want to look like Gaga. And I say, men, do better than that. You don't have to look like her. That went over your head for a second there. <laughs> Moving along. A helicopter landed to pick me up. It's called Dust Off. You military retirees know what I'm talking about. Dust Off is what the civilian world calls air flight, I think, or something like that. They fly in, helicopter pick you up dead or wounded off the highway where you had a head-on collision. Well, this is called Dust Off, and they pick me up, and they, well, they roll me onto a stretcher to start with. Phosphorus burns in water. I was still burning. Little pieces of me were jumping up and in flames coming out of the hole so that phosphorus was blasted in so deep. Some of it never had time to spontaneously combust. Think about this. It never had time to burst. On, I have to keep tapping this thing, telling them I'm okay. I ain't dead yet. It was about two weeks, and I'm, I'm grasp, grappling for the exact time. I can't remember the exact day. Two weeks after I was injured, they opened me up to do surgery. Two weeks, I burst into flames on the operating table because the phosphorus in me did not have time to explode. It was blown in so deep. The outer part of it was left on the surface. It, it burned, but the little core that went inside did not get enough oxygen. When they opened me up, there's oxygen in that room that will explode and blow that hospital up. I asked the docs, what did you do when I caught fire? They said, we ran for our lives. <laughs> I said, what'd you do with me? They said, we left you. <laughs> I said, you should not be doctors, MDs. You should be veterinarians. <laughs> they said, why? I said, because you're chicken doctors. <laughs> I was infuriated. They left there's a lot more to the story. Time won't permit. Let me move on. They get me in the helicopter. They On the way, uh, with a stretcher, running me to the helicopter, the stretcher caught fire. It ripped open. I fell through on my head. Have you ever had one of those days? <laughs> they rolled me up in wet blankets, got me on another stretcher, and away we go. And the medic thinks I'm dead in the helicopter. Now, you remember, it went through my chain of command that I was killed in action. I'm in the helicopter. I'm sorry, ma'am. I know that baby's very distracting. Keep your eyes on me right here, all right? I don't want you to miss a word of this. Whenever they had me in the helicopter, they think I'm dead until I yelled medic. And I yelled medic because from the instant of the injury until in that helicopter, I had no pain. I felt nothing. I was in shock. Even the water kept me awake. When I should have passed out, but when I jumped in that river, it forced consciousness on me. I'm still awake in the helicopter. When that pain hit, the shock wore off, I yelled, medic. He almost jumped out of the open doors of that helicopter. <laughs> True story. The medic trying to control him 
losing command of that helicopter. We're flipping and churning, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, we're going to crash, and I'll be the only one that survives. <laughs> they got me to Saigon and then to Japan, and I really stupidly asked for a mirror, and they really stupidly brought it. And I looked up in the glass with my good eye, and I saw what was left. I didn't see the damage. I saw a broken promise. Remember? I'll be back without a scar. And I knew I could not let her see me ever again. If I were to by chance survive, and there's always a chance, she would look at me, she would see me, she'd see the broken promise. I couldn't risk it. I took it out of God's hands. I took it out of my wonderful doctor's hands. And I decided that I would kill myself. I'd take my life because they would never open the casket. Everything not covered was bone, black charred bone. You could break off pieces of my face, chest, back, arms. You could break them off. They actually broke off the thumb. They just broke it off a little bit. They just, it was all charcoal. And it took session after session after session in the debridement tank, two times a day, filleting me, cutting off all the dead skin. They could only do enough to keep you alive but not kill you because if they take too much, you'll die of shock. It'll kill you. They can only do so much. You have to do it as often as possible until it's all gone or you die of gangrene of rotting flesh. And they started by letting me see myself, and I said, no way. They walked away with the mirror. They walked away with my future. They walked away with my hope. I lost hope that day, and I didn't get it back until a time that I'll tell you shortly, and I'll close. When I saw what was left, I pulled the tube. I had no gun, no knife, no razor blades. I pulled the tube out, and I laid my head back, folded my arms, and I waited to die. And I got hungry. It was the wrong tube. I pulled lunch. I couldn't even kill myself right. The angel of the Lord camps around about then the ferryman and says, not that tube, pull this one. You'll have more fun with it. Oh, those doctors came in there and they, they I have new orifices in my body I didn't have before they started. I'll put, that's a nice way of saying it. Oh, man, they chewed me out. We're trying to save your life. You're trying to kill yourself. They took my last will and testament and put me on the airplane said, you'll die on the plane, but you're going home. They canceled the flight of my teenage wife to come escort, my, escort me home. Now they're sending me home thinking I'll die on the plane. But obviously the news of my death was greatly exaggerated. I'm alive. Body, yeah. Soul, yeah but I'm alive spiritually. I'm scarred all over my body. My soul has been troubled with many a scar and many a wound, but my spirit is skinned like a new baby. I don't have bad dreams at night because I don't sleep. <laughs> I sleep very little, three or four hours a night, and that's all I want because I get up at 3 o'clock every morning until 7. If I wake up at 4 until 8, I do four hours in the Word of God trying to read it fourth time through completely before Christmas this year alone. I can't get enough. I can't find enough. I am insatiable to know him better. As I get older, the thinner the veil, and I can see things I never saw when I was young. 
The old Welsh brethren used to pass each other with a different greeting than you and I do. In America, we, hey, how you doing? Or, what up, dog? It depends on where you are. They passed each other saying, have you been to the thin place lately? The thin place? Yeah, was it Jenny Craig's? No. Wrong thin place. It's that place where you've knelt so many times, the thin place on your jeans are worn out. Or that place in the carpet has been worn thin. Or better yet, that veil between the finite and the infinite is rubbed thin. And the Bible says we see through it darkly, but we see through it. And every now and then we get a glimpse of eternity that we've never seen before. And admittedly, the older you get, the more you see. And it's so exciting knowing that it's not far. It's not long. One day... I'll be in the likeness of he who created me eternally alive. And I'll see him face to face. And I'll get to see that girl I loved. Or she won't be giving to me in marriage and it won't be like marriage, but we'll have those memories of marriage. It's a good day to be alive today. It's a good day to serve God. We are the comfort of a world. We're the light in their darkness, the salt of the earth to keep it from going so south. We are totally rotted. You take us out and this thing goes to pot overnight. Thank God for the body of Christ. We're the comfort of the world. Give them hope. Tell them, get off that stretcher. Get back on that horse. Look at me. We're not dead yet. Tell them, look at me. Look at me. I'm talking about yourself. Tell them to look at you. I'm happy I found faith instead of fear in a world of panic over pandemic. Yes, we do what's normal and right. We mask or we distance or whatever is the best to do. At the time, it's best to do it. And we protect ourselves or protect others. Whatever is your choice, don't give me a government that tells me how to live my life. I do not belong to a government. I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my government. He is my authority. We're one nation under God, not above, not beside. We're under God, and don't you ever forget it. Nobody, I don't care what party they're part of. I am not a Democrat. I am not a Republican. I'm not a Republican. I mean, an independent. I am a born-again, spirit-filled, child of God, devil-kicking Christian. Amen. And you know what? That scares them to death in Washington. That really ticks them off. Because just about the time they think they got control of us, along came Jesus again with the answer to the crisis, the Christ of the crisis. Don't ever forget Jesus is still the answer. I got to quit somewhere. Let me finish about that. How we do it? If I'm through by 12, you'll be all right? <laughs> well, midnight's a long way from now. <laughs> I'll wind this thing up with this last story, okay? There's two parts to it. Let me put the second part first, okay? And the first part second. For obvious reasons, at the end you'll understand. Second part of the closing is they put me in the ICU in America. When they got me to America, they brought me over on a big hospital jet and landed at Lackland Air Force Base, put me on a helicopter, flew me over to Fort Sam Houston, and then at Fort Sam Houston they landed, I think it was on the roof, but I don't remember I was in and out 
uh, of consciousness, but at Brook Army Medical Center, BAMC, we're known of now, it's SAMC, San Antonio Medical Center. But BAMC, and I was there for 14 months. They put me in the ICU. I didn't know what that meant. I'd never been in an ICU before. But at the end of my first longest period of stay that they could actually stand me up, however long that was, I think it's about the fourth month, they stood me up and they gave me this little robe. You ever been in a the hospital, they give you that robe? Why do they give you one that doesn't come together? It's called the ICU. I did not go to medical school, but I figured that one out on my own. And it also provided me a fuller understanding of what it means to be in the Army draft. <laughs> it was cold back there. But they put me in the ICU. There were 13 of us in there. 13. The baker's dozen. Remember 13? It's the baker's dozen. We were all burned. We were all supposed to die. They would not put us on the main ward because it discouraged patients that had a chance to live. We had zero chance, no chance to live, 13 of us. The 13th obituary has yet to be written of the man talking to you right now. All 12 died but me. I'm the last survivor, and I was the last survivor when I left that hospital. They all died. The guy in the bed next to me, 100% third degree, his, no one ever survived that. His wife walked in. She took off her wedding ring. Threw it on his bed. She said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street. And she turned around and walked out. I thought, oh, God. I looked at the tubes. They're not labeled. Suicide tube, food tube, coffee with cream tube, <laughs> sweet tea, unsweet. No, no, no. You, it's a guessing game. I didn't know what to pull. And before I could choose, she's standing at my bed. Ripe old age of 19 now. Standing at my bed. A teenager looking at what used to be her husband, and she did not identify me. She said, Doc, that's not him. Doc said, yes, it is, Miss Brenda. It's Dave. She said, no, it's not. I was dying 10,000 deaths, and I knew it was over. He walked her up to the head of the bed, and someone read, wrote, and I read it somewhere. So I don't know who wrote it, and I don't know when I read it, but I never forgot it. The windows, the eyes are the windows of the soul. You ever heard that? She looked in my good eye, and I guess she saw furniture in there. She recognized. She said, Doc, this is Dave. And she bent down and kissed what was left of my face. That's a woman. She said, I just want you to know I really love you. Welcome home, Davey. And when she called me Davey, <laughs> I said, Doc, I'm getting better. He said, no, you're not. I said, I'm so sorry, Brenda. She said, why? I said, I can't look good for you. Folks, I broke that promise. She's looking at a broken promise. I said, I can't ever look good for you again. She said, baby, you never were good looking. <laughs> Y'all are cold as she was. <laughs> we both laughed. And almost 54 years later, the only promise I ever broke was the one she never forgave me of because she never judged me for it to start with. Did you get that? How do you forgive who you never judged? How do you forgive who you never condemned? 
you don't have to forgive them. The last word she said to me, oh, Davy, I love you so. And the military buried her for me a few months ago, and they left me room on top to be buried above her so I can still cover her in death because I don't even want death to let us be part. Love can never end well. It cannot end well. Love always ends in tragedy. You go into marriage making a vow to love until death to us part. And that's the tragedy of the end of love. But if you're a believer, it's never over, ever. So I'll close by telling you what I would like for you to take home today. This is my Christmas gift to you, okay? I told you the second would be first. Well, this is the first event before I got to see Brenda. Brenda was when my hope was restored, by the way. I lost it in Japan when I pulled the tube. I found it in America with a kiss of my bride. But in between, they landed and they took me into Brook Army Medical Center and they put me in that room that I mentioned a little while ago about debridement when they cut the dead skin off. It drives you insane. They put me in a tank called a Hubble tank. It's about two or three times bigger than a bathtub, and it's made of, of stainless steel. And you have three attendants on each side, and they reach over, and they skin you alive. They don't tell you what they're going to do. They start splashing that, that pure saline water on your charred flesh to soften it to help them. And it feels pretty good, actually. It's warm. It's clean. And I have always tried to be a funny guy. I've always seen the humor of life because my, my mom, who was in so much pain all of my life, never knew ever a day of her life to be well. Every day I ever knew my mom, she was sick. But she had so much humor until she could no longer speak. And then one day we realized she can't speak, she can't see, she can't hear. And for a decade or more, laid in a rest home, fed through a tube, died at 68 pounds, never knew why God didn't take her home after all that. But he was teaching me suffering. And how to, how to get through it so that maybe one day I could comfort you. I hope that's my reward is that I was successful today. Because if you're hurting and if you're broken, it's okay. God knows how to take that tragedy and turn that triumph into somebody else's comfort and healing. Amen? Amen. So stay with me as I close. They put me in there and they're splashing water on me. And I said, do I get rubber duckies? And they didn't laugh because they knew what was coming. And at the nod of somebody on a cue, they all whipped out those stainless steel tools of torture. And they began cutting and hacking and clipping and sawing and filleting me. My heels and the back of my head were all that were touching as I bowed up. And her hair was a little longer than the others, just enough to get my fingers tangled in. Even without a thumb, I tangled my fingers in her hair and I flipped her into that tank. And one out of six ended up in the water. And I had her down, head down in that water and I was trying to kill her because my brain snapped. I thought she was trying to kill me and I'm fighting for my life. And before I realized what I'd done, they had her out. Five of them had her out instantly. She was never at risk. 
But when I looked up, my skin was all in her hair. And her white uniform was pink with my diluted blood. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. And then they said, he's had enough. Then I knew what to say. And I said, yes, he's had enough. And they put me on a stretcher. And they were pushing me down to the ICU that we nicknamed Death Row. We nicknamed the debridement room Hell. So twice a day, I went from death row to hell to death row. That was in the morning. Then in the afternoon, death row to hell to death row. And on the way that first time, they pushed me, and the medic had me on a gurney, had a wheel that wobbled like a Walmart shopping cart. <laughs> rattle, 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 made me mad. Everything makes you mad when you're hurting, right? That's one of the key indicators of post-traumatic stress disorder is anger, and I deal with it with warriors over 6,000 in our program called Operation Warrior Reconnect. And now I'm the guy going through the post-traumatic stress disorder and in all the pain and the agony and that wobbly wheel and him pushing me back to death row. I'm anger, full of rage. He said, now in the morning at 8.30, we're going to do this again. He just shouldn't have Norton have said that. He triggered something to me. I looked up at him off that gurney. I said, not you and not the entire United States Army is big enough to put me back on that stretcher and take me into that tank. He said, then you're going to die. Well, I didn't want to hear him say that anymore, and I wanted to hear that wobbly wheel. I said, well, let's make a deal. He said, what do you mean? I said, if you're going to do this to me tomorrow, don't tell me. Surprise me. He said, what? I said, if I don't you were going to do it today, I wouldn't have let you. You surprised me. See, now I'm going to be awake all night with anxiety attacks, and my fear came upon me. All night, I laid there knowing hell was coming on a blue-draped gurney pushed by the demons of that pit coming to take me down that corridor. And at 8.30, I heard the announcement of that wheel telling me the death angel's coming. They got the stretcher up beside me, the gurney beside the bed, and they forgot to lock the wheels. You know what's coming. They got on each end and on the blue sheets, they said, one, two, three. And when they swung me over, for whatever reason, one of them on the foot end dropped me. Well, if one drops, it doesn't matter. You just fall out. The other guy can be holding me. He's only holding one side. And I went down, and I hit the bed, and it separated at the foot end, but I held it together with my elbows at the head end. I didn't want to fall off. My feet hit, and it was like somebody took a baseball bat and just waylaid my body. It hurt, sent a bolt of pain throughout my whole body. I'm hanging on. I'm slipping. It's about to break loose. I'm about to fall through the cracks of those beds. And my life took another change as big as when I found out I wasn't the Mexican I thought I was. He was maybe six foot seven. It's not a joke. 350 pounds and not an ounce of body fat that I could see. Solid muscle. When he moved, cannonballs popped up on his chest and shoulders and arms. And he had a T-shirt on that made him emphasize. He was bald. He was black. And his name was Rosie. <laughs> Jesus is my witness. I line on. His name was tattooed right there on his arm so he could remember I'm Rosie. <laughs> he put one arm under the back of my neck and I knew then he was there to help like a forklift. He held me, and I stiffened my neck to give him leverage, and with his other hand, he picked up my whole body 
like I was a feather. He turned and no gurney for Rosie. He carried me down that long, long corridor, been over the edge of that pit, the Hubble tank, and lowered me into the water. And as they splashed, and as they cut, and as I bowed up in horrible pain, I looked over, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw that giant with his arms folded, leaning against the wall, and the rising sun through that window that morning cast a golden hue on his beautiful ebony skin, and those tears looked like little streams of fire now dripping on his arms. His lips were moving. Rosie was praying for me. Someone cared enough to pray for me in the place that I was that I could not have been without him. He prayed. I relaxed. They thought I went unconscious and they quit hurting me. Then I learned, play dead. They leave you alone. <laughs> play possum, buddy. Whenever they said he's had enough, I agreed again. He's had enough. And they called Rosie and he reached down in that filthy water and he picked me up and they took terry cloth and dried his arms and they scrubbed me a little to get blood to surface to prepare me for grafting. Oh, the pain. Oh, the pain. I can't describe it in any language. Tongues of a thousand angels can't tell you what it felt like. And he knew it. And he held me so close to his giant chest and he turned, and I can only illustrate it as I walked, as he walked, he carried me. I'm a limp rag, and he kept saying to me over and over, You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. I don't know how many times he said it. Equal to the distance. He lowered me in my bed and pressed against that air mattress and extracted those arms that were like forklifts. And turned and faced me. And somewhere back here, and I never saw it because it was back here. I had a little piece of hair. Survived. And with his mother's touch, a giant paw pressed that hair, stroked it. And he thought, and I could see he was thinking about what he would say. But he said the same thing again. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. Then he did something I never let a man do. He bent down and he kissed my forehead. He turned and walked away, and I could end right there, and it would be a tragedy. The end is yet to come. Listen to this. Fast forward 20 years. 20 years later, I'm in the great state of Oregon. I am at the Air National Guard. Come on, stay with me. Stay with me. I know, it's a baby. Don't worry about the baby. Stay with me. This happens. If you, you are a baby, you did the same thing in church too. Listen to me. 20 years later, I'm at the Air National Guard, uh, 4th of July celebration. 20,000 people came to hear me speak. That's a crowd. I love a crowd. I'm loving this crowd. You're a full house. I got through speaking. This woman walks up, and she is dressed immaculately. I don't mean flowerly. She was dressed in a business suit. I have full recollection of her, a business suit. Perfectly coiffured hair, manicured or manicured hair, coiffured, whatever it is. She was pretty. And she looked at me and she said, you're Dave. I'm thinking, in a crowd outside, she's at the back. She's identifying the speaker. 
one eye, one eye. You can't miss the speaker. There were no big screens to her look at. I said, yes, Sam. She said, that's your nickname. I'm thinking, well, it's not Bartholomew. She said, your real name's David. I said, she said, that's your middle name. Whoa. Y'all didn't know that. How did she know that? She said, your first name is Milton. That's even triple the information. How did you know that? She said, you're Milton David Reaver, R-O-E-V-E-R. I said, yes, who are you? She said, I'm the nurse you pulled into the tank 20 years ago. For the first time in 20 years, I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. She said, no, 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 no. It's all right. I thought it was you, but I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> this is getting real serious now. <laughs> I said, oh, Lord, do you remember a guy named Rosie? She said, yes, he had a tattoo. I said, that's him. I look for him in every crowd. I go, I can't find him. I've got to thank him, too. I said, do you know his real name? She said, all I remember is Rosie. I said, do you know where he came from? She said, I said, do you know where he is? She said, no. When did he come to Brook Army Medical Center, Burn Ward? She said, when you did. When did he leave? When you did. You're like all my other new best friends. They all say, he was an angel. You reckon? I have to think about it because one question possible, do angels have tattoos? <laughs> and what idiot's going to hold one while another idiot tattoos him? <laughs> and wait a minute, angels all have to be white like me. You see, there's a lot of questions I can't answer. I don't know if he's an angel or not. I hope not. Because if he's an angel, he's just on assignment from his commanding officer, right? What if he's not an angel on assignment? What if he's a man on a mission? No one told him he had to go do that except his heart. And he listened to his heart. He caught me falling through the cracks of life. He carried me where I could not go on my own. Loved me when I wanted to take my own life and hated myself so much. Prayed for me when nobody else was there to pray for me. Spoke words of encouragement over and over to me. A man on a mission? Never send an angel to do a man's job. So I came today to tell you, if anything I've said has encouraged you, Take the comfort wherewith I've been comforted that I comfort you with. Get off your stretcher. Get back on your horse. Let's ride again. Be a rosy to somebody today. Love them when they hate themselves. Speak words of encouragement when they have nothing good to hear from anybody else. Be Jesus in the flesh like Rosie was. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approved of this message. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share my heart with you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're, thank you.
you're, you're so generous. You can be seated. There's a number of ways to close. One thing, if you have three minutes and 50 seconds, I have a video that you might like to see where I'm a Rosie. I'm a Rosie to our military. You'll see the countries I travel in. If you, you got three minutes and 50 seconds? It's 11.30. I think I want to be through about right now, but if you're okay for a few more minutes, I was close to finish. So, anyway, uh, you'll see the ranches I built, one in Colorado, one in Texas, for our troops. We started at ground zero, we call it, with nothing except old, old buildings, and we tore them down. But in Colorado, we salvaged uh, one that was built in 1893, a little one-room cabin. It's restored to perfection. You know, not that that's the point of the video, but we, you'll see the ranches we built for our military. To this day, we minister to our warriors, male and female, who've been downrange, suffering with post-traumatic stress, even to the point of being disordered. We physically, with upper and lower respiratory and our magnificent gymnasiums we've built, uh, you'll see those ranches. Then you'll see downrange where I go. Some of them are not, they're classified and they cannot be labeled. But if you've been downrange, some of those places you'll recognize. Uh, you'll see the war zones I work in to this day. Uh, then you'll see the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do for my country. And it wasn't survive the Hubble tank. It wasn't survive the hand grenade blast. The most difficult thing I've ever done for my country does not include losing my wife. That's the most difficult thing I've ever encountered. But for my country's sake, the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do is sit in a C-130, grinding away the night at 21,000 feet across the Middle East with a plane full of fallen warriors in what are called transport cases. We call them caskets draped with beautiful American flags, wondering, was the next Billy Graham, the next young man to preach the gospel that would stir the world, was he killed prematurely in valor on the field of battle? Was the nurse at Balad, Iraq, that was killed in that hospital, was she the next Mother Teresa? You see, we'll never know in this life the price paid for freedom. That's why we can never neglect it. That's why we still salute the flag and stand for the anthem. Because it's a price we can never pay twice. If you lose it once, you'll never get it back again in your lifetime. I hope this little video will speak to you because it's from my heart to yours. It's called The Angel Flight Home. Thanks for your help.
flight Bravo 03. Gear down, five miles. We have a hero on board tonight. Angel flight Bravo 02, you are number one for landing. Welcome home. I hope to God we don't end up more wars. I'm tired of bringing heroes home. May the God of peace give stupid politicians who've never fought a day of war answers to stop sending our children to fight the wars they start, with the exception of those that have served and do understand. And not all politicians are stupid, thank God. It's time to get more men and women of God and character in office on either party that learn how to shut their mouth and open their heart to God. Just want them to shut up for a while. I'm sick, tired of it all. I'll be glad when Jesus sits on the throne. We don't elect him. He just does it the way it ought to be done. Let's give the Lord a clap offering today. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that uh, just a minute of business. We have a, a number of items that pay for the ministry function. Now, let me start by telling you, I don't take any royalties. I take no sales percentages, zero, nothing. I've written books, and the ministry gets everything. I take nothing, hundreds of millions of dollars, and I don't take a penny. And you'll understand why we do what we do, because I've invested my whole life in it. We have shirts with our beautiful logo, Operation Warrior Reconnect, which shows the warrior, the mom, the babies. Sometimes it's the mom that's the warrior. Did you know that? This shirt is a walking billboard. We have them. Also for in all the different sizes. We got them also for ladies. They're all small. <laughs> but you can get bigger small ones with the women's cut and a faded color for the faded glory, they call it. Anyway, we won't get into that. Uh, a couple of books that I have not colored in yet. That's a joke, folks. It's, it's called Scarred. This is an autobiography, and it gets thicker as the days go by because we add to the autobiography. And it's brought up to date with my work with the Department of Defense in those countries downrange with a lot of pictures, things that you've never seen about Saddam and his statues and what those things can mean. A book called War and Recovery. This is one of the most popular things I've ever written. I've written a lot of books, but I'm only bringing two of them today. This one, War and Recovery, is written like a, a devotional. You can read short stories. And every story is packed with scripture that will apply the principle learned in a military experience to a civilian life, which was written for that reason. I go to war, get hurt, come home with a purple heart. Some of you went to divorce court and got hurt, came home with a broken heart and a broken washer. And the ex got the dryer and it worked. <laughs> Life's not fair. And that's why I wrote the book. Life's not fair. It'll be a huge encouragement to you. And if you still have a DVD player, 
I didn't know what that meant. For a long time, you get DVDs and BVDs and HIVs, STDs and <laughs> AOCs. And it's a great video. You will love watching this video. It's got amazing. What we did on it, it was I shared at a church in Dallas-Fort Worth I go to regularly. It's called Gateway with Pastor Robert Morris, one of my best friends. And uh, that church can afford the equipment. And they put together the best live presentation I've ever done. So I think you'll enjoy it if you want to get that. And then we have a, it's called Catch-22. It's a program designed to help us. This is why I'm even in this church. Catch-22 was that bicycle ride from Canada to Mexico, 2,200 miles in 22 days to stop the suicides of 22 a day among our veterans, sometimes 23. We have an average of 22 a day and an average of 22 beads and a little bracelet made of lava rock that can absorb the essence of orange oil. And that essence of orange, and the study is on the card that you can go online and prove from George Washington University, the doctors discovered that that essence of orange oil soothes the nervous condition related to post-traumatic stress. It has a great impact on those that soak that, those beads and wear it, and it, it holds that fragrance all day. <coughs> it's not snake oil. Women love these fragrances. My wife loved fragrances. Her favorite was peppermint. It made my eyes water, and I sneezed all the time. So at least it kept me shut up while I was sneezing and crying. But these things are available to you, and I take nothing. So you understand, folks, none of this is personal for me. And you can use your credit card or your neighbor's card if you find it in your driveway. Hey, that's a joke. There's going to be an offering taken. I want you to understand right off, right off the bat, I do not support myself through this ministry. I'm retired from the Navy. I'm also retired on Social Security. I live on a fixed income. I wear clothes from Walmart. I do. George is my favorite <laughs> pants and coat. I'm wearing something else. I actually looked this morning. I didn't recognize where this one came from. It's a hand-me-down, and I like it, so I wore it today. I think it was the wrong one from the cleaners. I don't recognize it, but it fit. So I took it. I, honestly, I don't know where it came from, but I, it fit this morning, so I put the metal on it. I said, I look good today. These things are available to you, but it is availing me to help my warriors in ranches that we have now paid off the second ranch with the exception of 100000 Now, that's the exception. You have to understand what I'm about to tell you. I had a $108,000 gift the other day. If I matched 100000 to it, I matched the 100000 I borrowed 100000 to pay off the 100000 so I could pay off the 200000 I got to pay the other half back. But I, here's the rest of the good news. Of the 100000 left, I got a donor that will match dollar for dollar. If I raise 50 he matches 50 So I've got to, till first of the year, I've got even a week after Christmas, to raise that other money. And I've got 18000 against it, it looks like already. So with that said, today what you give will help me finish. We're going to have the second ranch Totally paid off. It already is. You've already heard. We already went in and paid it. I got the deed to burn, the, what do they call it, the, the mortgage. We're going to have a mortgage burning at the end of the year, but I've got to pay that other 50 back. So you can help me with that if you so choose. And anything above and beyond that by the end of the year will go for the continuation of scholarships. No warrior has ever paid to come through my program. I pay for round-trip airfare. 
that is very expensive for mom, the two babies, and the man. We bring, or, or more babies. I have one family of six, and of all places, they fly out of Anchorage. They eat up everything I got. <laughs> but we bring them every year, and we don't just one and done with these people. There are some that have been with me now for 11 years in our program. I promised them on day one, and I've kept that promise to now. You come, you're part of the family for the rest of our lives and your life. Until death, do us part. And now we have thousands that rotate through constantly. These people are being groomed. They go through our university program. We have three university programs. Two are accredited, one unaccredited. We offer from kindergarten all the way to a doctorate in theology from the cradle to the grave. Have 150,000 students worldwide in our program. Not military. This is worldwide in our theological seminary. Listen to this. In Vietnam alone, I have 125,000 students training for ministry today in the country of my near demise. That's exciting. That's, and every, every bit is, is verifiable. And in the Assumes of God, you can go to Global University. You can confirm the 125,000. We use their curriculum. It's all verifiable. I'm not making any claims you can't prove. So I'm glad to tell you, you're giving to a ministry that will get the best bang for your buck. We will do more with your dollar. No one works for me that wears one hat. Everybody wears many hats. I get more out of an employee working with me because they get more out of their boss than any other employee. We struggle and we fight for what we believe in because we believe in it enough to give our lives for it. Thank you for letting me mention all that. You can give on your credit card. A lot of people don't carry checks anymore. But here's the thing on that $1,000 match, on those $1,000 matching gifts, if you give a gift of $1,000 or up to and including, and I've had nine of those over the years, $100,000, they're matched by banker insurance. Banker insurance matches all gifts from $1,000 to $100,000. So any gift you give from an individual or a company is matched by banker insurance. You can go online and prove that too. So today, if you want to make a difference in a warrior's life, I don't get the money. I solemnly vow we will make your dollar count for those warriors. Let's give them the best Christmas they ever had. I'll continue to give them these ranches accessibility, round trip, food. Nobody pays a dime to come because of people like you helping people like me help people like them. In sign language, that means I love you, but my thumb got blown off, so I speak sign language with a lisp. I love you. I really do. I have had so much fun. I don't want to quit. I've loved being with you. It's been a blast. And I don't use that very often either. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Y'all are so good. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Man, what an honor to have Dave here with us today. As you said, um, you can give in the foyer. There's a box. We don't do the passing because of COVID and all that. But there's a box in the back you can give in the foyer. Uh, if you're giving to the Reavers, make sure you mark that either on your check or on the envelope. You can give online, lexag.org. Uh, hit the Donate tab. You can give there. There's a memo line. Just make sure you, you put Reaver on there. Uh, we'll send one check from the church this week with all that. You can also give in our app. Uh, man, it is such an honor. Would you stand with us this morning? Now, if you guys, if you're watching online, thank you for being with us, especially those in the Mid-Nebraska Veterans Hall, man, we're so honored to have you guys with us.
All right, Lord, we thank you today for the chance to be together. Thanks for the message. Thanks for the way that you're using Dave and his, his group. Lord, we are so honored to be a part of that. Lord, I pray you be with us as we go today. Protect us. Be with us, Lord. Bless all those that give, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Thank you for being here. There's a table right out in the foyer where you can get uh, all this great stuff. Thanks for being here.